This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. Hi, everyone. It is Friday, February 3rd, after another exciting week at the legislature. I'm Erin Hart, Communications Director at Gender Justice, and excited to welcome you to this week's episode of the Gender Justice Brief. I'm super excited today because we have our very first ever outside guest, Erica Solomon, Executive Director of NCJW Minnesota. Hey, Erica. Hey, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. What an honor to be the first, uh, the first guest appearance. Yes, and you're also very appropriately wearing your Unrestrict Minnesota t-shirt today. I'm wearing my Unrestrict t-shirt because I'm going to try to make it to the Capitol later for the SF-70 hearing. And this is actually, as we'll talk about more later, the first week in like about four weeks that I haven't been at the Capitol yet. And it's somehow we made it to Friday without my trip to trip to St. Paul. So I might uh, might make it over later and wanted to be sure I was dressed appropriately in my unrestricted gear. <laughs> awesome. You are ready. I am not yet in my unrestricted gear, but I will also be donning it for the hearing today. Uh, and yeah, we will definitely get to what's going on with uh, reproductive freedom legislation uh, in a bit. Uh, first, uh, why don't you introduce yourself for folks? I know who you are, but I don't know like everything, um, everything about you, tell me. But yeah, what brought you to NCJW Minnesota? What does NCJW stand for? And tell us a little bit about yourself and the mission of your organization. So my name is Erica Solomon, and I have only been the executive director of NCJW Minnesota since last June was quite a wild and tumultuous time to come on board, but uh, previous yes. to joining as a staff person, I was on the board uh, for about five, six years and had been involved in various different capacities before that as what I like to call my extracurricular mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, my background professionally has been in fundraising. I worked uh, for development with Jewish Family and Children's Service. I'm with McAllister College where I went to school but got involved with NCJW just because I wanted to learn more about different ways of engaging with the Jewish community, uh, whatever that looks like for folks. You know, there are lots of ways to be involved with faith-based groups from a spiritual or religious observance standpoint, but NCJW was a group, oh, I should back up and say what it stands for. It stands for National Council of Jewish Women. So our mission statement is National Council of Jewish Women is a grassroots organization of volunteers and advocates who turn progressive ideals into action. And we're inspired by our Jewish values in our work for social justice, particularly improving quality of life for women, children, and families, and safeguarding individual rights and freedoms. So I was just really inspired to see a group out there that was using values that have been defined as faith-based, defined as Jewish values, although honestly, when we talk about them, they're really things that are just the values that I would hope any good folks would share, things like respecting your neighbor and fighting for justice. And so I really, the organization really resonated me with uh, when I got involved, because it was the first time really I had seen an opportunity to engage in a faith-based space 
through specifically through community action and advocacy. Um, and just what a wonderful multi-generational group of folks to jump in with people that have all kinds of different careers and, and where they come from and how, what, what being involved with the Jewish community looks like for them. So um, really it's been the relationships that got me hooked. And then also just um, being for the first time in a space that taught me what being an advocate could look like. And, you know, your, your representatives at the Capitol truly are there to represent you. They work for you. And so instead of seeing them as these scary power holding folks up on the Hill, we really need to be free to make sure they're hearing from us about what we care about. And I never really fully realized that and, and knew what that could feel like until I got involved with NCJW. There was like a national council for mm -hmm. Jewish women and then state chapters. Is there right. like a chapter in every state? No. So okay. NCJW was first started in 1893 in Chicago. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, we've been around for a long time. It was founded at the Chicago World's Fair, in fact. And so we are a network of different sections, we call them. It's similar to chapters, um, but each section is its own 501c3. It's its own organization. We do our own work, but we're um, united under this network of NCJW Inc., which is based in DC. And not every state does have its own section. Uh, and then on the other side of that coin, some states have several sections. So it's really based on population where there's interest. I think it's probably easy to imagine that the states that have many sections are places like California and New York and Florida. Uh, but here in Minnesota, as of 2016, we are just one section. Before that, um, we did have separate sections for St. Paul and Minneapolis, and then we brought them together to be one NCJW Minnesota those few years ago. Nice. And so I, you know, as I mentioned, when we started the podcast, you're wearing your Unrestrict Minnesota t-shirt mm -hmm. and uh, Unrestrict Minnesota um, you know, for, for folks who are tuning in for the first time, uh, first, you should go back and listen to our other seven episodes and then come back. But uh, Unrestrict Minnesota is a multi-sector, multi-racial coalition advocating for reproductive freedom in Minnesota. Uh, what brought you all to Unrestrict Minnesota? So we, as an organization, we say that we kind of are like a three-legged stool where we do our work in spaces of direct service, of leadership development, and of advocacy. And I think for many of our uh, advocates that are involved, I know for myself that advocacy piece is the one that really resonates most with them. So we have different specific priority uh issue areas year to year, but there are some that really we consider foundational to our work and our mission. Uh, things like gun violence prevention, things like civic engagement and representing a fair independent judiciary. And then of course, very foundational to the work of NCJW has been uh, reproductive health. Uh, reproductive health rights and justice is what we call our issue area. And that's of course, like it has for so many groups looked like different things through the years, including back in the day when we were advocating for um, folks to be able to access birth control without their husband's permission. Like it's that historical base in, um, you know, what our values tell us, which is that individuals uh, need to be able to have autonomy over their own bodies, their own lives, 
um, and that the safety and health of the person that is um, potentially carrying a pregnancy or making that decision is what should come first. Uh, so it logically made sense that we've been involved in abortion access spaces really historically and for a long time. On the other hand, uh, we also recognize that um, to truly, you know, so foundational to the reproductive justice movement was its foundation and leadership of communities of color um, and other communities that are being impacted by by these really serious issues of having their freedoms and, and bodily autonomy infringed. And so it's always been really important to us in being mindful about how we show up. We know that we show up as a predominantly white group of women that you know are relatively homogenous. And so it's always been important to us to come to the tables with groups representing different backgrounds, different faiths, different races, different orientations, and different kinds of work that have exposed them to this space. So Unrestrict has just been super, super helpful and amazing and advantageous because it's given us this opportunity to come to the table, bring our Jewish, Jewish value-informed um, perspectives on abortion and reproductive freedom and, and lift that voice up when it's needed and called for, but then to also make space at that table for some of these other really fantastic groups that have been in this work in different ways for many years and represent diverse constituencies. And yeah, lifting others up as you know, this work as much as any advocacy work, if not more is really about the relationships you've built with folks and learning how and when to lift each other up. So Unrestrict has just given us such a fantastic space to do that in. And I think it's really resonated with folks that have been involved with us. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And um, we also hope to have more of our coalition partners on the podcast. So I'm excited to, uh, to highlight the diversity of the coalition moving forward. Let's turn to why we're here and or why we will be maybe crossing paths at the Capitol later today. What legislation has NCJW Minnesota been involved with and, and what has been bringing you to the Capitol uh, these past four weeks of the, this historic legislative session with so much going on. So much happening. Action passed <laughs> legislation. Yes. So we are uh, working really hard on uh, what we've been calling colloquially the menstrual equity bill. So it's House File 44 and Senate File 50 this year. So what this bill would do, similar to bills like it that have already been enacted in 17 other states, would have the state provide funding to all Minnesota public and charter schools to provide menstrual products to their students and to ensure that they are making those products available to students that menstruate. Uh, we started to sort of have our eyes open to this issue a number of years ago in 2017. Um, we have long had relationships with uh, schools, especially the St. Paul and Minneapolis public school districts, where we engage in a lot of our direct service work. And we got this call from a school in Minneapolis saying that they had this need for, for menstrual supplies because students did not even remotely have equitable access to those and the schools aren't providing it. So it requires them to miss class time either for the whole day or multiple days when they have their period and don't have the products they need or even just 
you know, more briefly to have to get a pass, potentially talk to a teacher that isn't super open and understanding, to get a pass to go to the nurse. Um, I've even heard stories of at some schools, nurses are saying that the school makes them charge like a dollar per pad, which is wild. Um, I've wow. heard others, I've heard many, many instances of school nurses and teachers saying that they are spending their own personal dollars to buy these products to students. Um, so again, in, in 2017, 2018, when this school alerted us that this was going on on their campus, it sparked this question of, is this something that is happening in other schools here in our community? And so uh, over the course of that next year, 2018, we, we dove into a lot of research and found out, yes, this is, this is really a widespread issue even here in Minnesota. Nationwide, it's estimated that one in five students experiences um, what is defined as period poverty, not having um, reliable access, um, struggling to afford period products, and uh, over four in five have either missed class themselves or know someone who has had to miss class because they didn't have access. So yes, this is an issue of, of health and, and bodily autonomy, but it's also really an education issue because when we all know when students are missing class time for whatever reason, it's, it's a barrier to success. And that's very much how these school nurses and, and other educators have been speaking about this. So this really kicked off what has been and continues to be more of a direct, tangible um, solution, which is that for the past few years, we've been distributing products to schools. Uh, since we started doing this in 2018, we've distributed around 200,000 individual pads and tampons to schools, um, as well as community organizations and other places in need throughout the metro area and beyond. And we were fortunate that in 2020, we received a huge donation of these products. So we've essentially had a warehouse full of them. Oh, wow. Um, that's we, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. You know, it's so fun when I get an email from a school nurse that's like, really, this is something you can do for us. And then I always joke that I'm like the, the, the tampon fairy, because then right. I can just say, yes, what do you need? I'll come drop it off. And and make it rain pads at your school. Um, but, and you know, that's been, we've been really happy to be able to do that. It's, it's been really great to be able to continue building those relationships with schools and hearing from those folks what's going on on the front line. It's been a great opportunity for us to engage our volunteers in helping with that distribution. And because it is not the NCJW way to find a more band-aid solution to, to a problem and, and move on, we knew that part of this work would have to be looking systemically at, you know, instead of just providing these products to schools as a nonprofit who has limited resources and time and finances, you know, this really is an essential need. And if schools in our state are not batting an eye when they're providing things like toilet paper and hand soap and paper towels, uh, why would this similarly essential need for at least half of their student body um, be being ignored or put in the hands of the individual staff or student? So I really have to pause and give a lot of credit here to my predecessor, Beth Gemmer, who uh, now is the leader at fellow unrestricted organization, Jewish Community Action, um, because she, you know, when I talk about all of this great progress on the bill 
and some of these great relationships we've formed that have helped us along the way. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to, as I always say, join the program already in progress because she um, was working for a number of years working up toward what is now uh, HF44, SF50. Um, and in fact, last year in the 2022 session, we came very, very close to this bill getting across the finish line in an education omnibus bill. And it was just at the last minute in May that it didn't make it through. So I have to give all the credit in the world to Beth. I have to give a ton of credit to the student advocates that have really been making this happen. Um, and then of course the legislative and other community partners that have helped us gain so much momentum that I am now fortunate to be able to carry through to the, hopefully to the finish line this session. That's great. So where is the bill, you know, mm -hmm. sort of right now in the process and what have, what have the hearings looked like? I've been like just sort of paying attention on the periphery or on, on socials, everyone should follow NCJWMN on the various channels. Uh, we can let you plug that later. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been so focused on the abortion-related legislation that, that I, I kind of have no idea where That's you're at. That's fair. Process. Again, there's yeah. so much happening. So uh, yes, we were fortunate to have our chief authors, Representative Sandra Feist, who serves New Brighton, and Senator Steve Swadzinski, who serves Eden Prairie, uh, introduced these bills early in session. So honestly, by the second week of January, uh, we were getting our first hearing, which was really exciting. Uh, the fun challenge about education-related legislation is that it they have separate committees in both bodies for policy and finance. So it kind of oh. doubles the number of committee steps uh, that some bills pass through. So we have now had four, I'd say four and a half <laughs> hearings. Um, we were in education policy uh, during that second week of session. We were in Senate education policy and House education finance the following week. And then Senate finance the following week, just on the 24th of January. And then the reason I say and a half is because we got laid over in house finance. They had to look back at it, but then it did eventually make it through. So now we are awaiting to find out when we will be scheduled in ways and means on the house side and finance on the Senate side. And we're still really hopeful that by the end of this month or so, we'll see this go to a floor vote uh, either as a standalone bill, which was the initial goal, or rolled into another omnibus. How the hearings have gone so far, that's a great question. You know, again, I want to give so much credit to the folks that we've had to show up to testify, and they've predominantly been middle and high school age students. You know, I, I talked about our how we got going on this work around six, seven years ago, but at the same time, there's this extremely bright and, and powerfully uh, change-making student at Hopkins High School who was a sophomore at the time who reached out to an array of legislators saying, this is a problem here in Minnesota schools. I've seen it, my friends have seen it. What can you, our legislators do to help make this happen? And it was uh, Representative Feist that then connected with that student and started up their work and then eventually through the magic of relationships and just being able to 
be introduced to people that were doing similar work, we joined forces with them. So this student who is now a junior at Hopkins, she has really been instrumental in organizing a team of student testifiers. Uh, in particular, there are two students who have since graduated from Egan High School that really got a huge project, including grant funding for it, to provide these products in Egan schools, and that's been really successful. We've called in folks that are from outside the metro. We had a, a testifier from Mankato um, a couple of times and, and elsewhere around greater Minnesota. A couple of students, again, that that were in high school last year and have since graduated, but are still speaking. And again, to go back to how partnerships is, are so important here, we've also had other organizations that have joined forces with us and brought their young uh, audiences to show up. In particular, we work really closely with Reviving Sisterhood, which is a Muslim women's advocacy group. Um, they brought a couple of fantastic testifiers to a couple of our hearings. At our last hearing, we had two teams of Girl Scouts that both came and talked about the work that they're doing. So that to me has been a huge highlight is just, I'm so inspired by young people and how how excited they are to make change and to sit in, you know, to be a 15 year old sitting in front of a panel of legislators is, and not only to be sitting there, but then to be speaking extremely confidently and powerfully to those um, folks is really, has really been something. And then in, in addition to them, we've also had some school staff, mainly nurses that again are for the most part, the school staff that are that are on the front line of this, because that's where students have to go to get products if they don't have them, um, as well as other teachers. Uh, I would say, you know, in general, the hearings have gone well. We've been fortunate, and again, Representative Feist and Senator Swatzinski are such great champions. Um, they do a fabulous job laying the groundwork and responding to questions. Um, and it's really hard for me to imagine a representative, especially a representative that is working on an education focused committee to be able to sit and listen to this powerful testi testimony from students saying, this is essential, this is a need. I, Our students in Minnesota count on you to set the, context they need to succeed in schools and you are denying us this basic need you know to see that and think that anyone could have a reaction other than yes we will do this for you is really shocking especially because you know at the end of the day the fiscal note on this bill amounts to not even quite two million dollars which I mean to you and I is a lot of money right but but Bam. in the states in this from the state's perspective especially with the surplus we have right now you know it works exactly. out to two dollars it's two dollars per pupil that this works out to and so uh -huh. if we if we aren't willing and able to invest that amount in our students I think it says a lot um so so there are so there has actually been some pushback from the other side on like yes. it's, that's yeah that also so, blows my mind <laughs> yeah know. you know I will I will say and again a lot of credit goes to the folks that put in work on this before I joined the team here but this bill has had bipartisan support um because really truly again it's it's pretty undeniable that this is a basic need and we have had support from both sides of the aisle that recognize that and champion it 
I will say the thing that has been really, really disappointing that we've seen come out, especially in these later couple hearings, has just been some really crummy transphobic and gender exclusionary language. Uh, you know, it's it's been really essential to this bill all along that it have inclusive language and it talk about students that menstruate and it ensure that when we're talking about restrooms in schools, we're talking about, yes, quote unquote, girls gendered restrooms, but we're also talking about gender neutral restrooms. We're also talking about gendered boys or men's restrooms because the truth of the matter is that not everybody that menstruates is a girl or woman and not every girl or woman menstruates. And if uh, a part of this, a goal of this bill, which it absolutely is, is erasing some of the stigma around menstruation and starting the conversation around this basic bodily function, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice by not ensuring that we're including within the bill the language that we want people to be using when they have those conversations. And so that's that's been challenging. We have had you know, I would say the language that we've gotten from the legislators themselves, it ranges from being a much more thinly veiled um, attempt at making that point and saying this is really about local control because we want to let the schools decide where and how they're distributing these products um, to just very outright statements of, you know, trans erasing really harmful language that, um, again, to hear, to hear these legislators saying in front of these students who are talking about the importance of this being inclusive of all of their peers is really sad. And then I will also say, because I've, I am terrible at taking my own advice of never reading the comments on uh, internet coverage, you know, we've been really proud of this bill. So we've been out there in the media talking about it. Um, a group of us that have been involved in the planning of the legislation had an op-ed in the Star Tribune a couple of weeks ago. There have been local pieces. There have even been national pieces covering this work. And, and again, using the language that we very intentionally have used. And sadly, but not surprisingly, the trolls have come out in a big way. Um, and in particular, Representative Feist herself has really been a huge target over the last few weeks of some really hateful messaging. So if you have an opportunity to reach out to her or anyone that's been involved with this bill and just say, hey, I think you're doing a great job. I really appreciate the inclusivity. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah, it's so important. important. <laughs> and, I mean, obviously at Gender Justice, it's central to our mission and, and what we do. Um, and yeah, I, I super appreciate your, I mean, we as an organization, the the courage and the thoughtfulness that you have put behind your communications on the bill. Yeah, and and again, I can't take all the credit for that. You know, we've had a lot of help. Um, in particular, I want to shout out another unrestricted member out front. Minnesota has been really helpful in helping us put together some talking points that we share. Because even our testifiers, you know, when we're talking to a a forty five year old school nurse. Of course, we know that they they want to be inclusive of all of the students they're serving, but just the language that they are used to using is this language of feminine hygiene products and do this for our girls. So even just being able to sort of have those talking points to coach, so to speak, our testifiers to make sure that they're using that language, I think, 
again, a huge, of course, a huge part of this bill, if not the main part of this bill, is about just getting students what they need to succeed, full stop. But I think a very intentional side side effect of this bill has been getting these conversations going about about menstruation, about reproductive health, about gender equity. And so, you know, again, I think it's really been lovely. I mean, not lovely because again, sometimes the the rhetoric is awful, but it's really been meaningful, I should say, um, that when we're working on this legislation, it's opening the door to having some of these really great, um, though sometimes challenging conversations. Well, that's really exciting to hear um, about the bills. I mean, the, the education, the public awareness that has gone behind it. Are there other pieces of legislation that you have uh, been working on with uh, NCJW Minnesota this session? Yeah, that's a great question. So first I'll say to just close the loop on uh, the menstrual equity work, we are now just starting up. Um, literally, we have a meeting today um, in effort on a similar bill that is going to be introduced soon uh, by, again, Representative Feist and Senator uh, Umu Verbitten, uh to do. It's, it's a very similar bill, but it would bring the products to um, Minnesota state colleges and universities, so bringing it into a higher ed space. Uh, and we're really excited to see to see where that goes. And again, are hopeful that that yet this session we can get it on a similar trajectory to the K-12 bill. We, of course, as members, proud members of Unrestrict, are keeping an eye on uh, all of the abortion access bills that y'all have been working on. We're really excited about the PRO Act. We're looking forward to similar results for the other bills that are on the post-Roe agenda that Unrestrict put together. Um, and then we also do a lot of work, as I previously mentioned, in um, gun violence prevention spaces. We work really closely with Protect Minnesota, where we serve on the Interfaith Council uh, and Moms Demand Action Minnesota. So there are some really important bills in that arena as well this year, especially around expanding background checks um, and other just really common sense gun safety laws that, again, especially within the context of what tragically is happening left and right in our country feels so important and we're really fortunate that we have some great potential to actually get some some change making bills across this session and then the last bill that we're working on more as a supporting as a supporting cast member again i mentioned jewish community action they convene a great coalition called communities combating hate uh, and they are working on some legislation that would help communities and organizations with reporting and gathering response response uh, funding that grant dollars from the state around hate crimes and bias bias influenced uh, incidents of hate. So we're keeping an eye on that too. I believe that one is HF 181 and it's been moving a little more slowly but is is still in the works. Yeah, well, I know it's hard to believe that. Um, I feel like so we've been in a session about 30 days and I think I read in like a recent house update there's still like 112 days left of session. Um, but, it's a marathon but yeah. this year, right? right. Somebody I yes. was talking to um, that works in advocacy space was, oh, actually it was somebody at Girl Scouts that I was talking oh. to <laughs> that works in advocacy. And she said, 
we just like this Monday got from our national body, the Minnesota advocacy report. And she said, I wanted to write back to them and say, yeah, we've been going hard for about three weeks already, (laughs) (laughs) but thank you for the update. (laughs) Thanks for the update. Awesome. Well, I want to, I realize we're getting sort of towards the end of time. Where can our listeners learn more about NCJW Minnesota and, and plug into your work? So our website is ncjwmn.org. There's some information there about all of the work we do. We also more recently added a blog feature. So I've posted a couple of um, updates around bills we're watching, in particular, of course, this menstrual equity work. Um, We're on all the socials. Mainly we post on Facebook and Instagram. I would also say, you know, nationally, Uh, NCJW Inc. also has some great resources out there on the internet, and I want to especially draw attention to, they have an abortion access campaign specifically that's called Jews for Abortion Access. Uh, Their website is jewsforabortionaccess.org. So there are some great resources there around what I was alluding to around how our values are informing Um, our thoughts around reproductive health. And in particular, there's info there um, coming up on February 17th and 18th. Uh, That Shabbat will be the time of the year that the portion of the Torah is read that is is the portion that is said to inform those values. There's um, some context for the the rules and and requirements uh, that have informed some of that. So National has a big movement around naming that as Repro Shabbat um, and encourages congregations and individuals around the country to get involved in whatever way, even if that just means bringing a conversation about reproductive access to, to their Shabbat dinner tables. So there are a couple of congregations here in Minnesota that are doing programming, but there's also several resources on that website about where else things are happening, where again, how people can just choose to bring that into their own homes. Awesome. Okay. February 17th, 18th weekend, Repro Shabbat. Yes, it's, it's a perfect lead-in to Tuesday the 21st when we're having Unrestrict Lobby Day. That is right. Unrestrictmn.org slash lobby day uh, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'll be having our lobby day at the Capitol. Uh, it'll be huge and folks should register. Even if you can only come for part of the day, we have constituent meetings with legislators. We have some training on on how to lobby. We have a rally. We have food. We have transportation stipends. We have childcare. I, for one, am taking advantage of that because Minneapolis public schools have off that day. So should be a, a really great event. And we're excited for you know folks from around the state to come to the Capitol on the 21st. So big weekend, Repro Shabbat and then Tuesday Lobby Day. Love it. Well, Erica, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast and just for all of the great work that that y'all are doing on so many fronts. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, actually, before we close, I should do a mini update for folks on where we at, where we're at with uh, our legislation super fast. Yes, please. I'm I'm to to hear it too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the PRO Act was signed into law this week. Uh, The governor had a signing ceremony. Uh, after our marathon 15-hour Senate floor vote uh, on Friday, where we did a mini update in our last episode. So the PRO Act is law. Check. Next up, we have HF91, SF70, that is the Reproductive Freedom Codification Act, which works to 
take Minnesota's abortion restrictions off the books. Uh, this is one of my personal favorites. Um, you know, we had a lot of powerful testimony throughout our hearings about the impact that the lawsuit had, um, taking away restrictions and freeing up access and clinics. And so now it's really time to get those off the books. That will be heard today at 1230 in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And that bill moves next to Senate Finance and House Ways and Means. And our Reproductive Freedom Defense Act, protecting uh, providers and patients who come to Minnesota for care, or providers in Minnesota who provide care to out-of-state patients, has another hearing in the House next week. So those bills are, are moving along, and we're super excited about them. And we will update in our next episode of the Gender Justice Brief. Thank you, Erica, again, and I hope that I see you in a couple hours at the po- uh, at the podcast. No, this is the podcast at the Capitol. <laughs> Thanks so much, Erin. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Yanel and Audrey Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.